So if you are able, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. Uh, we're going to read the scriptures. We are reading from Romans chapter 16. If you're new, we're a Bible teaching church. And so we read the scripture, we explain the scripture, and then we um, apply the scripture. Romans chapter 16, we'll be reading from the New Living Translation. I'm going to read verses, the odd verses, 1, 3, and 5. You can read verse 2 and 4. And as you read, read really loud and fill the house of God with the word of God. Romans chapter 16, verse 1 says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who's a deacon or a servant in the church in Centria. To give my greetings to Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in the ministry of Christ Jesus. Also give greetings to the church that meets in their home. Thank you. You may be seated. So, Father, thank you that we're here. Thank you for everyone watching online. Thank you that we're not here by accident. Thank you, Father, that uh, we are who you say that we are, that we are chosen, that we're not forsaken, that you're for us and not against us. And, Father, as we open your word, we pray that we be able to behold wondrous things out of it, recognize that in all scriptures God breathed, that we are experiencing sovereign exhalings of Almighty God. Father, we know that all Scripture originates with you. Pray that we will be built up, encouraged, inspired, and challenged uh, as we look at the Scriptures and ask your blessing over it. And everyone agreed by saying? So again, welcome. The title of the message is The Character of Christian Community. The Character of Christian Community. So we're going to talk about, like, what does Christian community look like? Like, what does the church look like so we're going to unpack that. Romans 16 is a snapshot of the church, a snapshot of what community looks like. And I remind us again that though we're going to be going through a bunch of names, sometimes when you see a bunch of names, you take all your speed reading skills and apply them. You know what I'm talking about? We're not going to do that. We're going to unpack the names here. So Paul then, rather than teaching us, is going to talk about his friends, 24 Friends, 23, 24 friends. And so I want to remind us that this is Holy Spirit inspired. God breathed here. So the individuals we're going to talk about here, they're going to inspire you. They're going to motivate you. They're going to challenge you uh, about your own life. And so the church then uh, is made up of ordinary, diverse people who knew the Lord are growing in him and serving him and loving one another and growing together in community. So that's what we're going to talk about Today, someone once said that one of the most instructive chapters in all of the New Testament Bible uh, is Romans 16, because it encourages personal relationships. So we're going to talk a lot about that, personal relationships, because the church is a community, is a family. God wants us to be that. So God wants us to develop relationships, to pursue relationships, to know people so we work really hard at that. That's why we got all the hospitality, hospitality truck. Everything is free. That's why we got all these small groups. That's why we do the kinds of things, man camp and woman camp, and, uh, and all the outreaches that we do so we can grow in community. And so uh, I'd love for you to check out some of those things. But I get it. I get it that people don't want to be in community. I get it that people just want to come to church and leave, and that's it. I get it because I recognize that some people have been hurt. Some people have been wounded. Some have been bruised, you've been burned here, and you want to pull away. I want to have that protective shell about you. Think, man, in my other church, you know, X, Y, or Z happened, and I don't want that to happen again here. And so some people are hesitant to step into community. Some people, that's just not your thing. You're not like some flaming extrovert. Maybe you're introverted. But I want to say it doesn't matter if you're introverted or extrovert. The scripture is what it is. Paul was an introvert. 
Paul was wounded. Paul was hurt. Paul said, hey, Alexander the coppersmith, that guy like did me much harm. He said, Demas, that guy forsook me. And so I want us to see here that we all have our reasons maybe not to engage, but I like to invite you to rethink that. Uh, and I also like to think about all the energy and all the effort that Paul poured into the people that we're going to unpack about this morning and that he didn't have Instagram or couldn't send him a tweet there or email them, but uh, he just maintained relationships. So we're going to see what that looked like. So Paul now has given all his theology, the 12 chapters, application, and now he's going to talk about these are my friends, and I want to invite, I want to talk about my friends that I experienced community with. So the first thing I'd like us to see, and there's some main points, here's one of the main points, is what Paul was and what I think all of us need to be, and that is a friend maker, to make friends. Now, I get it, some people, like you never met a stranger, that's not your friend. Other people are, are very introverted and hard to, to adopt this kind of mentality. What we're going to see here in the scripture is that uh, there's a mentality of friendship that pervades the church there. And friend makers, can we see that together? Okay, be a friend maker, one, two, three. Yeah, so there's these personal greetings that Paul's making as a friend maker where he's engaging them and loving them and he's affirming them. You feel his affection and his engagement, his kindness and the value that he puts on friendships. It's awesome here. And so he says in verse 1 this, you want to look at the screens here, look at the screen, it says, I commend you, or I want to introduce you, I mean, this is an introduction, I'm introducing you to our sister, his sister, if you're in church, our sister, my sister, Phoebe, and you think, what does Phoebe have to do with my life, some funny name, 2,000 years ago, but we're going to find out who is a deacon or servant is what that means in the church in Centria. And so what we're going to see about this woman Phoebe says, I want to introduce you to her. And she says, she's your sister. And I get it. It can be sound kind of like cheesy, kind of cliche-ish, kind of superficial. But I want to say that this is actually legitimate and that though she's not your physical sister, in the family of God, spiritually, she's your sister. Phoebe's your sister. Phoebe is my sister here. And so it's a legitimate truth. It's a familial term, a family term here. And it really is a big deal. It really is a big deal uh, because you can take the posture if you, you go to church that, well, you know, not really kind of, I don't want to be involved. Uh, I don't want to be too close to anybody. I'm going to keep my distance and all that. And you can do that with your natural family too. But, in, but really in church, you do that to your own detriment. And so I'd like to invite you to rethink that that this really is a family that you've gathered with here. And so then he says, who's a deacon or a servant in the church? Now check this out. She's single. A single woman, okay, for whatever reason, she's single. She may have been a widow. She may have never been married, but she's single. And this woman here, Phoebe, she's like, she's bringing it. She's a servant in the church there. She's a great woman of God. She's a difference maker. She is very affluent. She's a wealthy woman, has lots of funds, funding ministry, fantastic businesswoman, very successful, highly competent woman, like we have here at Sanctuary. Single women, I want to give you a shout out. Maybe you're widowed. Maybe you've never been married. Highly competent, highly capable, and you, like Mary, we need you to, to express this, to be a servant 
in the church. That was Centria. This could be sanctuary. Now, I say this because, because it's hard now. Uh, in our culture, nobody wants to serve. Like, nobody wants to work. I'm exaggerating a little bit to make a point, but think about it. In America today, we have a problem. We have a massive problem that the government, I think, has also helped by writing so many checks here. We have a national problem where people now, for whatever reason, they don't want to work like they used to work. So we have this national problem here. In fact, I, it comes to expression locally. A few weeks ago, I'm going to get some, some uh, drinks for the worship team on Saturday. Three o'clock. Three o'clock, I pull up, and it's closed. Now, what, what, what's going on here? And so and I, I thought, surely they're open. No, they're closed. And next week, I went about earlier than that, about 2.45. I said, hey, what's going on? Like, you close at three. I said, it's all you do is coffee and drinks. They, and, they, and they said this. They said, well, we can't get anybody to work. Can't get anybody to show up. Can't get anybody to serve. Think about that. We'll pay you, the employers, Starbucks, we'll pay you lots of money. Uh, we'll pay for your college. Uh, we'll wake you up in the morning. Uh, we'll rub your feet. Uh, we'll, we'll do whatever we have to do. Would you please, please just work? So now you see restaurants closed, uh, uh, retail stores closed, all are closed. People don't want to work. All we're going to see here multiple times, one of the themes in Romans 16 is, is, is um, esteeming the great value of work. It'll say, this person worked hard in the Lord. This worked very hard. And over and over again, you're going you're gonna to see here how, how it's recognized that people worked hard in the church here. And so well, I want to think about here at church and what's going on here because at church you have a bunch of paid, uh, you don't have a bunch of paid people, you have volunteers then. And I want to thank them because, for example, for example, this place was cleaned by volunteers. We have a professional cleaning crew cleaned by volunteers. Throughout the week, volunteers, okay? All these plants here, by the way, these are from Cherry Valley Nursery. Not Home Depot, not Lowe's, Cherry Valley Nursery. I hope you support Cherry Valley Nursery. But all these volunteers brought them in every week. Cherry Valley Nursery, volunteers bring them over. Crew of volunteers packs them out so you can have a pretty church. Can we thank the volunteers to do that? Come on. And so it's so hard to get people to work. And in the church, you have people that are doing jobs that the culture can't even incentivize them to do. And they're doing it for free as volunteers. So you have a dynamic happening in church, a couple million people, billion people in the church, which is not happening in culture that people are willing to work. I'm going to see where it starts right here. Jesus set this in motion as an example of servanthood when he said, I came not to serve, but to serve. I mean, the Son of God said, look, here it is. Here's great, true greatness of life is when you serve. So, uh, and so that's what we want to recognize here. So Phoebe, additionally, the servant of the church in Centria, also carried the book of Romans to the church in Rome. Imagine that a single woman given the incredible responsibility to bring the scriptures, uh, and it's generally accepted by Bible scholars here, commonly held a truth that she's the one that brought the scriptures to the church there. So what an incredible woman, what an incredible single woman we have here. And I just want to encourage you that God has gifted you 
And I hope he stirs you up to have your gifts come to expression in the local church, just like Phoebe. Can we give it up for all the Phoebes in the church? Yeah. So welcome her, watch, more on Phoebe. Welcome her in the Lord as one who's worthy of honor among God's people. That's pretty impressive. Help her in whatever she needs, for she has been helpful to many and especially to me. So the church is made up of people like Phoebe that you want to be hospitable with and you want to help them because they're a part of your family. So that's the the big point to take home. Verse 3, Priscilla and Aquila. Now give my greetings to Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in the ministry of Christ Jesus. Co-workers, what kind of work? Well, making tents, like hard work, hard labor, making tents. And so they're a married couple, and I'm so grateful. I just have to say I'm so grateful for all of the Priscilla and Aquila's couples in this church. We have many here. I could point you out. wouldn't want to embarrass you or miss somebody here, but there are many Priscilla and Aquila's here right now, absolutely awesome people. Not only the single women that are bringing it, but we've got couples also who are working, serving, ministering together. And I want you to see it, that here's where it starts right here with Priscilla and Aquila, an amazing couple here. And I love the fact, don't you love the fact that Paul, the great theologian, the great master of theology there, the most gifted theological mind ever to to exist. And here he's personal and he's telling everybody like mentioning their names. I love that about him that he's uh, he's not up there, uh, you know, in the heavenlies receiving just revelation from God, forgetting about all the people. No, Paul, the Bible says, was with them going in and out of the temple. So Paul is with the people, with the flesh and blood, real people, people that you will see in heaven someday. So I want us to see is, number one, the culture of the church, friend makers, okay? Your new job assignment, be a maker of friends. Number two says it's a serving community. Look at verse four. In fact, Priscilla and Aquila, they risked their lives for me. Some of your translations read, they stretched forth their necks for me. How many people want to have friends like that? Come on, you want to have friends like that. And so he says, and I am thankful to them, and so are the Gentile churches. So the church is made up of both men and women, single women, uh, couples here, different roles, different capabilities here. But I want to point something out. This is written to a completely, utterly male-dominated culture. And, and the women are highlighted here. More women than men, number one. Number two is multiple times they're talking about the women who are the hard workers setting the example for the rest of the church. Four times, just, just about 12 verses, point out the women are bringing it here. So Priscilla and Aquila, one of the great ministry couples in the Bible, arguably the greatest. Strong leaders. There's strong leaders here. And they're a tremendous inspiration to us. I'm inspired by them. Like I want, I want my wife and I to, to be like them. So you have this amazing, incredible, epic couple here that are serving Jesus together. And so, and he says, we just all need to thank them. So, but what I love about them is like, they're getting in the middle of the action. They're not just sitting on the sidelines where it's safe there and not getting their hands dirty. No, we're encouraged by their, by their example here because they're jumping into the middle uh, and helping Paul. They, uh, they're welcoming him into their home, this traveling preacher. They're putting everything on the line. 
for Paul. Some way, somehow, we don't know exactly, but they risked their lives for the apostle. Their posture was, hey, we'll take a bullet for you. Their posture was, hey, we're willing to put our heads on the chopping block for you. I mean, it's right there in your Bible. Okay, it says they're willing to lose their lives to protect him. See, they didn't bail when things got difficult or whatever. They jumped in. They didn't run from the fight. They ran to the fight. Friends, this is Priscilla and Aquila. This should stir us and encourage us and inspire us because this is the type of people. You have a Phoebe carrying the book of Romans, Aquila and Priscilla there, stretching forth their necks for the apostle here. And then he says this, and also give my greetings to the church that meets in their home. Give my greetings to the church that meets in their home. Now, what is all about this? The church was not the home. The church met in their home. If we left here and we met in a civic building, that would be the church. The church is people, not buildings. And so what you see here is Paul and Aquila, they opened up their home for ministry. Such a great way to invite people. Such a great thing to invite people into your, into your house. So we want to be in the house of God. We also want people to be in our house. That's the idea here. It says, greet all the people that met in their home. So that's why we have small groups and life groups and all the things that we do here. And so, so we're following in the footsteps of Priscilla and Aquila. It's beautiful here. And then he says in the next verse, greet my dear friend, Apinitus. I just want to call like EpiPen or something like that, but Apinitus. When I read it, I thought, why don't we just call him EpiPen? But he was the first person in the province of Asia to become a follower of Christ. Apinitus was the first one. Think about Paul. He's preaching the gospel, sharing Christ. No response, no response, no response, no response. And then Apinitus, like, yes, I want your Jesus. I want to become his follower. And so you may be wondering, like, well, I'm new here, and why am I here? Maybe you're here that you would be like Apinitus, that you too would meet Jesus like this one did. Maybe that's why you're here. Maybe not today, maybe another time. But I just want to tell you that for God so loved the world, he gave his son, that if you believe on him, the Bible says you'll never perish, but have everlasting life. You'll be right with God. When you recognize all that Christ did for me, that he died in my place for my sin, that I could be right with God. When you recognize that and confess that with your mouth, you can be right with God and be a Christ follower. So Paul then, traveling, preaching the gospel, and uh, this man receives the good news. And then he says in verse 6, if you want to look at the screen again, give my greetings to Mary. Now watch, watch. There it is. Worked so hard for your benefit. You see it over and over again in the Bible. Worked so hard. And Paul, when he's thinking about them, he's thinking, what's the dominant memory that I have of that person? Dominant memory that I have that I want to acknowledge and affirm is, man, Mary, she just brought it. Like, Mary, she jumped in the middle and worked hard. Like, she led the way. She was an example of hardworking. Again, to all the Marys in the church, I want to thank you, thank you, thank you. And so, literally means the, the original Greek word means this when it says so hard. It means to work to the point of weariness, sweat, and exhaustion. She worked to the point of weariness, 
sweat, and exhaustion. So that she's esteemed highly. So you see here the culture of the early church, friend makers, a serving community, caring community, a hard-working community. Friends, we need to work hard until Jesus returns. Okay, why would we just work hard at home, work hard on the job, and come to church and not work hard? Why would we disassociate ourselves from church like this is a different life? And so I want to esteem and affirm and honor all of you that work hard, but maybe you bring that to the local church here, like all of these women, including Mary here. So it's a hardworking community. So the church is made up of people who work hard together for the Lord. I mean, there it is. Verse 7 says this, Greet Andronicus and Judea, my fellow Jews, who were in prison with me. Ho! How would you like to have that on your, on your resume? Yeah, you got a story. Let me tell you about my story. You know, the great apostle Paul, yeah, we did time together. Yeah, we were, we were cellmates. We were prison mates. And uh, I know him very well. I know him intimately. We bonded in prison there. But all of that to say this, they were so devoted that they were willing to go to jail. Now think about that because all of us, uh, we all need to figure out where is your line? Everyone here, you have a line where you're willing to endure and to suffer, perhaps for your Christian faith, but that's only as far as you will go, and you will not go beyond that line. Their line was, we'll go to jail for Jesus. That is our line. He died for us. We could go to jail for him. He paid it all, and so we'll go to prison for the one that died for us. So, And I want to say this, friends, that the price of following Christ is only going to go up in culture. Uh, It's not going to trend down. It's only going to get more difficult. So I'm just saying that you need to recognize and think about your line. Then he says, they became followers of Christ before I did. So before before Paul followed Christ, he had a couple people that were in his life, more perhaps uh, when he he started, they, they... had more experience, perhaps more knowledge, maybe could give him some, some encouragement in following Christ here. But the bottom line is this. You want to have these people in your life that can encourage you, that are in Christ before you, and you can go to them. I personally have tried to build this in my life because I was a young man. Not a young man anymore, but I still do this. So anyway, then it says this. Greet Amaphiltus, my dear friend, literally... My beloved, I'm a test. One thing we know is Paul had this great affection in him. And I want you to think about this. This letter here of Rome to the Romans uh, was being transported. They talked about by Phoebe to the church there in Rome. And imagine you catch wind of that. And you hear, you're in the church in Rome, and you think, wow, Paul wrote a letter. The great apostle wrote a letter. And I wonder what's going to happen when the letter gets here. I wonder what he says here. And, uh, but we're going to get the letter. I wonder if it's going to be in the Bible. Uh, we, get to, we get to check it out and read it. And then someone begins to read the letter. And you're thinking like, wow, this is just amazing. All this incredible theology and doctrine explaining all about God. And then you hear, then you hear, greet, I'm a test. And you think, oh, no. What is he going to say about me? And he's sitting there listening to the letter. And he's sitting in the crowd. 
Is he thinking, man, I don't hope, I just hope Paul doesn't ever tell that one story. Like when I got a, a DUI or like my girlfriend got a DUI or I woke up with a lampshade on my head or whatever. But I hope they don't tell that story. And I want you to notice here, notice this. Every story, every person he acknowledges is positive. Not negative. There's not one negative thing here that's told about anyway, anyone there. And so I just want to say uh, that we live in a world where tolerance now and just accepting people is what we're pressured to do. And let me say that God accepts us as we are, but God would, the worst thing would be to leave us as we are. God loves us too much to leave us as we are here. And so God's love is so much greater than tolerance, than to just leave people alone. Where tolerance says nothing needs to change, God said, oh, but your best life is on the other side of change. Your best life is on the other side of knowing my son, Jesus. And so you need to change. So I accept you and I love you, but I also want to do what is best for you. And so that has become like my son, Jesus Christ. And so I want you to just grasp this for a moment here. Grasp this for a moment that you are called the beloved of God. Let that settle in. This is the language that God the Father speaks over your life. My beloved. My beloved are mine. I am theirs. Solomon. And so you see here that the church is a family, a relational family, highly relational family. Verse 9 says this, and greet Urbanus, watch, a co-worker in Christ, dear friend, other beloved, and also Stachus, a co-worker. We've talked about that enough. And then he says, verse 10, greet Apelles, watch, a good, good man, watch. Look at that. Well, look at what it says, whom Christ approves. Look at that. Christ approves. So he's thinking about what can I say about him? What do I remember? He's approved by Christ. And how do you get approved, friends? How does someone get approved? You have to pass a test to be approved? Yeah, you do. So you got to pass a test. So think about it. Think about it. So uh, what he's saying is he's tried and proven. He's been tested and proven trustworthy. He's been proven faithful and dependable. Urbanus. Could it be that there are some Urbanus in the room today? I think so. Tried and proven, trustworthy, faithful, dependable. There are many of you men here that I'm locking eyes with that are Urbanus. And Pastor Ron is an Urbanus to me. And I love his example of being an Urbanus. Tried, proven, trustworthy. That's who you are to me, Pastor Ron. And I couldn't resist saying it. So anyway, there it is. Could you give it up for Pastor Ron? So, and so, and I get it too. Many times, especially the past couple of years, life's been difficult. Life's been traumatic. Uh, it's been bumpy. You feel maybe like you got hit by a torpedo. Like there's this hole in your life here where maybe you've been rejected. Maybe you've lost a loved one. Death has visited your home. Maybe you feel like you've been disowned. You've been discouraged, wrecked, ruined, whatever. And you're kind of just crawling along, maybe limping 
I want to remind you, this appeals to the women, applies to the women too. Put the scripture back up there. So whom Christ approves. Whom Christ approves. Because you've been approved before God. In other words, you have nothing to prove. That you don't need to perform for anybody. You don't need to live up to some lofty, unrealistic expectations that you're creating for yourself. You don't need to, to produce, you know, more and more results here. You're like Urbanus. Approved. Proven. You've passed the test. You've been approved, and there's nothing left to prove. And so, and I think sometimes we can live like this. We can live like, well, there's all these people judging me, and you're looking around, and you're kind of wondering who's watching there, and what people are saying, rather than just looking up and recognizing, well, God, what do you say? And I'm approved of God. I'm chosen, not forsaken. I've been forgiven. You know, those truths you want to just drive deep into your heart. Verse 11, greet Herodian, fellow Jew, and greet the Lord's people from the household Narcissus. And so here you have a couple of households I just want to point out in verse 10 and 11, which referred to, yeah, biological family members. So the church is also made up of them, biological family members. Beautiful to see that. Verse 12, bring my greetings to Tryphene and Tryphosa, the Lord's workers, and to dear beloved Persis, who's worked so hard for me and worked so hard for the Lord. So again, here it is. You know what their names mean? Dainty and delicate in the Greek. It's literal. I'm not, not making this up. Dainty and delicate. They're petite. And yet, they're leading the way and working hard and being an example that way. So these two gals, dainty and delicate, petite, small, not very big, but making a big difference. You may not be very big, but you can make a big difference. Has nothing to do with your being dainty or delicate. Here it is in Scripture for all time and eternity. You can make a big difference. And so, and I also want to point this out. There's Tryphena, Tryphosa, and then there's Persis. So you got this, this triplet of friends there. Okay, one of the ways to become friends is just jump in and serve there. And in serving, you make friends. So many people are lonely and disconnected and disengaged. All you have to do, friends, really, jump in. You'll make friends like Tryphena, Tryphosa, and whatever the third one was there, Persis. So, okay, so they were super productive. How would you like that to be written over your life, on your epitaph, on your uh, words written over your life there? This person was super productive and, uh, and did the Lord's work there. And they just, they got it done. It's awesome. And then verse 13, the great Rufus, whom the Lord picked out to be his very own, chosen in the Lord, and also his dear mother, who's been a mother to me. Two things I got for you. Two things I got. Watch, watch, watch. Whom the Lord picked out to be his very own. There was a special work for Rufus. Chosen, picked out. God, before time, said, I choose, I'm picking out Rufus for the work that I have for him. I wonder how many people this would apply to you. That the Lord has picked out a work. The Lord has chosen you. I became mindful and aware of this after becoming a Christ follower. When I was a high school student, I just felt like, I think there's something out there for me. And I was at zero point. I didn't know anything from anything. 
But I just knew there was something that God had. God begins to stir in your heart because he's chosen you. He's picked you out. Secondly, Paul says this, his mother, nameless, nameless, but she's been a mother to me. How powerful is that? I just want to say this to all of the moms out there. Maybe some of you, you've raised your kids. Um, maybe some of you, you're a widow. I just want to, I want to encourage you and challenge you that perhaps there are more, more children, more children that God has you to mother. Like everybody needs a mother, right? Everybody needs to know a mother's love. There's something beautiful about this, this spirit-filled, godly uh, uh, woman here, and she's loving the Apostle Paul, 50 years old. Oh, man, she's like, she's like a mom to me. This guy, let's get her, get her name in the, in the Bible there. So I need to talk about a certain woman who's been a mom, though she's not my actual birth mom, but she is a mom to me. And so I want to talk about her too. Though the, the, the most influential Christ follower in history makes reference to a mom. Years ago, the Lord just made it real to me. I was all alone. And, um, I just felt, I knew it was the Holy Spirit. He just said, Rod, the time has come for you to be a spiritual father. There are many sons that need a spiritual father. I just said, yes. And I want to say that the time has come for you out there, mothers, that the time has come that you could be a spiritual mother. And people, they so need it. Um, it would be a lifeline to them. And so the, the character of the Christian community, and I close with this, is that it's a family community. Where Paul could say, didn't happen in my biological world, but Rufus's mom, she's been a mom to me. And it so impacted his life that he put her in the Bible. So if we could close our, our, our eyes and bow our heads. Pastor Ron's going to come up. I'm going to pronounce a blessing over us. But I just want to remind you that you're beloved, that you are his chosen, you are his approved. You're in a community that is relational, like a family community, where people serve and people care, and people work hard, in Jesus' name. And I want to remind you that maybe your name is not in this book, but your name is in the Lamb's Book of Life. And I cannot wait to hear the approval that is spoken over you in that day. So we're going to finish Romans next week, and Pastor Ron is going to come and pronounce a blessing over us. Pastor Ron. Years and years ago, a theologian by the name of Godet wrote of the book of Romans that it was the ring of Scripture and that chapter 8 was the jewel in the middle of the ring. We come to the closing chapter this morning and Pastor Rod taught us such rich things from that text. I thought it would be fitting to be my prayer and my blessing over you to read some of the most edifying verses in all of Scripture from the 8th chapter 
of Romans. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he is no longer loved us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger of, or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even, even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen and amen.